Hello. Hey, how are you? Hey, I'm hanging in there. You know, it's been a lot of life lately between work and school and family. And yeah, it's been a lot of life, but it's a, it's a good life. I just feel a little overwhelmed with it. Mm, that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. How are you? I think hanging in there captures it for me as well. If I'm being totally honest, uh, you know, I I often deal with a lot of anxiety and today was one of those days that I was fairly anxious. And so whenever that happens, I have to come up with a system to get me through the work and through the day. And today's system was read a chapter of Psalms, respond to three emails, check mark something off my task list then repeat the system. And uh, honestly, that really redirected me for much of my morning, which was great. Yeah. I was just in my spiritual formation class a couple hours ago, and the professor mentioned the fact that she sometimes gets anxious. And she found that she found the following insight really, really helpful to her, that she can sometimes feel anxious coming into prayer and Mm -hmm. that's okay because God is not anxious. He's Mm. like this non-anxious presence where she can just come with all of her anxiety and all of this, whatever, and just, I don't know, receive his unanxious presence. That to me sounds very calming and reassuring in the midst of chaos. That is good. That's a really good point. It is valuable to know that there is a peaceful presence available to us. Yeah. And not one that demands that we be peaceful, but instead one that is itself peaceful. Yes. Or is himself peaceful. Right. Right. Well, and I think in the way she was even representing it, uh, sometimes we have anxiety about growing in our spiritual walk. Am I doing this enough? Am I bringing this to God? Am I you know, performing in this area? And she's like, yeah, God's not anxious. And so we don't have to be anxious about our spiritual growth. We can just oh, come so good. and commune and grow. Yeah, it's so good. No, it's so good. I mean, the number of times I go into prayer, and honestly, even after all these years, when I get distracted or when I'm anxious or whatever, both of which are a minute-by-minute issue for me, it is so easy to feel defeated. But defeated in this situation means I think that there's a win. Mm. And that inherently is the wrong approach. I don't have to be or do anything. I just show up as I am and be there with him. Yes. I just finished a book by Michael Casey for that spiritual formation class. And one of the things he says in there is, don't pray from where you think you should be. Pray from where you are. That's yes. what bring, <laughs> pray. That's what bringing your whole self to God is, just praying from where you are. Man, how often I don't do that. And as a pastor, I've talked to people who don't do that, who are Praying from where they think they should be. Coming back to that uh, brilliant scene in Bruce Almighty. Do you remember the end scene in Bruce Almighty that covers this topic? No, but I can't wait. This is so good. So, of course, it's 
It's Morgan Freeman as God standing up on a ladder, changing like a light bulb or something. And, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yep. And then what's the guy's name who is playing Bruce? Isn't uh, that... Is it Jim Carrey? I think it is. Nope. It is Jim Carrey? Okay, we'll call it Jim Carrey for the time being. And so, uh, you know, the end of this, you know, God is saying to, to Bruce something to the effect of, what'd you learn? With all that in mind, how do you want to pray? And Jim Carrey's character says something to the effect of, Dear God, let there be peace on earth. Let there be harmony and may all the children in the world just be fed that need to be fed. And he he says a couple of things like that. And he says, how'd I do? And Morgan Freeman, as God says, great, if you're trying to be Miss America. (laughs) But what do you really feel? What do you really think? Yes, that's so good. That's stuck with me as a theologically profound moment for many years. Don't be Miss America. That's today's podcast lesson. Yeah, absolutely. You do not need to pray your way to being Miss America, especially if you're a 41-year-old theology guy. <laughs> that, that is true. All right, but what is this episode? You called me, so what do you want to talk about? Man, you know what? I am thinking a lot about social media. And I find myself, as I often do, having a sense of ambivalence about social media. You know, I looked up ambivalence before we started talking to make sure I used this word right, because I normally don't. (laughs) But ambivalence means having two potentially contradictory ideas about the same thing. And that is how I feel about social media. On the one hand, I very seldom scroll through any kind of social media. I don't find it particularly engaging or interesting. It just doesn't capture me. On the other hand, I am the person who's responsible for social media for this podcast. So I'm on social media creating social media content every single day. And that is a fascinating place to be. If you add on to that, the amount of times I walk into one of my kids' rooms and we have transcended watching television, we have now transcended watching YouTube, and both of my kids are regularly flipping through social media. And they'll sit there and that's all they do. Mm-hmm. And initially, I don't mean to come across critically of that. I'm just noting it as a fact. With that fact in mind, I note that social media is a major element within our culture. And so I find myself thinking about it a lot. I have a million questions about it, and I just want to bat the idea of social media around and ask myself at the end of the day, what does it mean to think intelligently and coherently about social media? So that's what I want to talk about. Boy, I'm so glad that you took a moment to define ambivalent because 
that exactly captures how I feel about social media for all the same reasons that you talked about. I don't particularly love it, and yet we're using it for this podcast, and I sometimes feel conflicted about that, but I'm mostly okay with it. But then my kids are on it a lot, and I know it's a way that the generation younger than us connects with one another, and to not engage on social media is almost like a social slight for some. And so you're not present, you're not involved, you don't care is the impression that people get when we don't connect over social media. So I see that there is a societal need or a perceived need at the very least to connect over social media. And I don't know what to do with that because I see that it could do some good, but I I see that it can do some harm. I don't know where to draw the line there. Yeah, exactly. And that's where I want to just kind of back up and start asking some questions about social media and kind of play with it as a social or cultural convention or construct. Now, I do want to pause for a moment as the social media guy for our podcast. If you are listening to this right now, even if you're driving, I am 100% sure that this is not going to be the first time you've ever gone to and looked at your social media while you're driving. So I'm going to ask you, no matter what you're doing, to take a second and share our post from today. <laughs> you're going to cause accidents. It was an uh, on the phone with okay. Josh podcast crash. That you know, If you get in an accident as a result of doing this, please sh- send us a picture and we will share it. Um, <laughs> but uh, no, seriously, take a minute, share it really does actually help us significantly more than you think. But here's the question I want to throw in here to you, Josh. What is the role that social media is playing in our culture today? Or to put it another way, what need is it fulfilling? Because it seems to me like you just said, it is meeting a pretty significant felt need. Yeah, I don't know... I'm not going to talk about whether or not I think social media is effectively meeting this need, but I think what drives our use of social media is our all-too-common human need to be known, to be accepted, to be loved, and to be connected relationally. And so I think by putting ourselves out there on social media, we are hoping to be validated We are hoping to be seen, known, and build a community. And I think those are wonderful human needs that we absolutely should think deeply about and think carefully about where we go to meet those needs. I am ambivalent. That's going to be the word of the day. Uh, So if you're following along, that's three. I am ambivalent on whether or not social media should be a platform to do it. I think we all agree it should not be the platform, the only platform, because there is a a sense of inadequacy or a hollowness about it. But to what extent should it be a platform? I don't know how, how to answer that. So let me pause there. Do you think I've diagnosed it in the ballpark? Is that why we go to use social media? I think that's gotta be a piece of it. When I think about... What are people getting out of this? I think connection is one element of it. 
And in connection, I would throw a number of things. We want to see people who we respect as real people, and we want to participate in their lives. So I love the post of Craig Groeschel at his house, not looking picture perfect. Coming back to, we were talking about this before we started recording a few moments ago. A couple of weeks ago, we posted a picture of you doing some theology homework. Uh, you, you know, you had a flat tire or your car broke down or whatever. And it was one of the most reacted to posts we've had in a really long time because I think they, I think we want to resonate with experiences that we each have. Mm. Man, yeah, that happens to me too. Yeah. I think that's one big piece of it. Resonance, maybe, I, I would call that. Boy, if there's anybody who is younger, uh, let's say under 25, who listens to this, I would love your input on what you get out of this. But it seems to me like being stimulated is another thing that people get out of it. You know, it's just, it's a hit. Yeah, I think... Because when I go to social media and I start scrolling through, and here I'm using my uh, wonderful gestures that cannot be seen on radio, but I'm like flipping my thumb up across the surface of my phone. It's okay. You're not on radio anyway, so it wouldn't have worked anyways. (laughs) Right. So when I go to social media and I just start doing the thumb scroll, I am looking to kill some time. Maybe my brain is full. And this is just some mindless activity that can suck some time and distract me from what I'm doing. And so that's when Mm -hmm. I go to consume social media. But I have to say, like, I am more prone to scroll than stop scrolling. Very little interests me when I'm in that state of mind. I'm just like, yeah, 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 okay. And I probably stop over a half a dozen posts. But for the most part, I'm just scrolling. And so I don't know what I'm looking for. Maybe I'm looking to be entertained. I'm almost assuredly looking to be distracted. Yeah, distracted is a good word. But I would wonder, and I'm not this age, but as I observe my kids using social media, I think there is a sense of, I have to stay in the social media world because that's where all the trends get set. That's where all the inside jokes come from. That's what all my friends talk about. If I'm not in that world, and I'm not up on the latest Instagram craze or TikTok dance or TikTok sound, I'm not going to get the jokes and I'm not going to be connected to my peers. Yes, this is. So one of the things that I think it is for a lot of people is a cultural space. Do you know what I mean by that? I do. And I think that's the why I am okay with us using social media for our podcast, because I do want to create a cultural space. I do want to create a community that sits down and talks about the things of God and how we can live into them. So that to me is a justifiable use of social media. But maybe after this conversation, I'll change my mind. Yeah, no, I think that's I think it's, I think to look at social media rather than to look through social media at the content that is being produced may be potentially complicated. 
the same way it's somewhat complicated to evaluate, is the internet good or bad? Mm, Um, That's why I started off just saying, I want to think intelligently about this because, and I don't know if this is true or not, but it feels like throughout our lives, there have been a number of technological shifts that have been seismic in the way that they influence social connectedness, society as a whole, the internet feels like it changed the world. Right. And social media feels like a building on to that. And then now people who are very comfortable in that world, which is not us, are exploring new ways to find entertainment and engagement in that world. So if I think of my media categories, coming back to the TV era, the basic categories were a show, a documentary, a game show, a sitcom. Mm. And now we're looking at a different era of media that is expressing itself in a different context and therefore is creating different expressions of media that don't fit the categories of a show, a sitcom, a game show, a documentary. Some of these things feel like all of those things in two minutes. Some of these things feel like none of those things in two minutes or 30 seconds or whatever. Mm -hmm. I'm just intrigued by what it is I'm watching. Which is interesting because I think to some extent, yeah, we were probably blind to the way that TV, sitcoms, what have you, were shaping us. Uh, I think the only thing that I recall hearing was, you know, you spend too many hours in front of the TV and your brain gets lazy or it'll hurt your eyes or something. But those were the main concerns I was hearing. But today, I think with social media, we have a whole different set of concerns in terms of the way it shapes our brains, what it does to our attention spans, what it does to our conception of reality, what it does to our own self-image, like all of these things. And I think that's true of television as well. I just don't know that when we were young, people were talking about it. Maybe I just missed it. I don't know. Yeah, no. And I think it's interesting. You know, you talk about the attention span issue, you know, this is 30 second sound bites, whatever. But in the exact same moment in history, two things are happening. And I find it fascinating that these are happening at the same time. On the one hand, in the social media sphere, the length of content is shortening, right? It went from 22 minutes as an average episode down to whatever a normal TikTok is. Mm -hmm. But when you look at what is being produced in the new equivalent of the television sphere whether it's on Amazon or Netflix or whatever, the new version of television is now producing what is no longer episodic in the way that I'm used to, but instead is these 8 to 10 to 12 hour movies that are just chopped into approximately one hour chunks. Mm -hmm. I mean, I tend to be in the sci-fi fantasy sphere of what I'm watching, So like when Wheel of Time came out or Star Trek Discovery or whatever, these are not episodic. Wheel of Time, for example, was one story that was just and it was just one long story. And so we we criticize 
media at the moment as if it were shortening attention span. But that is the longest thing I have seen in terms of attention span in years. It is, but it the speed of the cuts, you know, the frame cuts and the speed of the storyline and the amount of action, I think is still pulsating through the screen and through the episodes. And so to take something like a really long book or a really long documentary or something that doesn't move as quickly, certainly doesn't have the kind of flashiness to it. I don't Mm. see any of that coming out these days. I'm not a huge documentary person. I'd be curious to watch some of the like President Obama produced U.S. parks stuff or great places in nature, whatever that series is that he did. But I don't watch that stuff and I've never watched that stuff because I've always found it boring. (laughs) So I am either profoundly symptomatic of what you just said or proof that it is transcendent beyond just the present moment. I'm not sure which. Mm, That's a good point. And I know plenty of people that are my age or older that would fall into that same category. So it is interesting. But even still, even if it doesn't shorten uh, attention spans, or even if it does, I do think it has a formative experience for us. Yes, absolutely. As everything does, right? It's not like we can just bash social media and say, oh, that's shaping you. Well, everything we do shapes us. Everyone we interact with shapes us. So that's just the nature of being human. What we expose our to has a shaping force to us. So it's fascinating. Like, I don't know all the ins and outs of how social media is shaping me or the world in which we live, but it makes me cautious knowing that it has that kind of power. No, exactly. Especially as, you know, I I was talking with someone recently about the power of preaching, and we were talking about the fact that it is no individual sermon that is particularly formative for a congregation. Rather, it is the, the voice of the person who is preaching as it crosses multiple sermons on multiple topics that is what is influential. Hmm. I think of Eugene Peterson's biography, uh, and his son had said something like, something to his dad about, you always preach one sermon. And his dad was really offended by that. Eugene Peterson was offended hearing like, I only preach one sermon? What are you talking about? And it was it was a long time later that his son was living somewhere else, not in the house he'd grown, and had said something about, like, yeah, I'm having a hard time finding a church. The one I went to was fine, but the pastor hadn't found his sermon yet. And that's mm. the point at which Eugene Peterson started to understand that what he what his son had said to him was a compliment. All these sermons interrelate into a voice, a, a meta-narrative that you as a pastor are bringing to the congregation over the course of a variety of sermons. Yes, exactly. And if that is true of something that we spend 30 minutes a week on or 50 minutes a week on, depending on what kind of tradition you're in and how long you're, the pastor preaches, 
I guess that's what I'm asking myself is what are the aspects of the voice or meta narrative of the social media experience? How is how is that context situating or, or, or shaping the voice that is being spoken through it? You know, you said it forms us and anything that we touch as often as we touch social media, if once a week over the course of years is formative, what is 35, 40, 50 little touches per day? How is that formative? Right. That's a lot of little micro course corrections. And I'm yeah. super intrigued by that. Yeah. Nothing else in our lives, I would venture to say, do we give that kind of power to. That kind of, I will come back to it that many times throughout the day. Effortlessly, mindlessly, just giving ourselves over to it multiple times a day. And as you say, offering these little course corrections where it's bringing us further and further in line with whatever that meta narrative is. And I don't pretend to define it, but it is really a fascinating thing. But because that has so much potential, let me ask you this. Do you think, and our podcast would probably fall into this category, but do you think Christians, churches, parachurch organizations, ministries of various stripes, should we be using social media as a vehicle for reaching people where they are? Or should we be trying to drive a different course because of the dangers of overexposing ourselves to social media? You know, first of all, I don't think that there needs to be a Christian response. Fair. But if we are capturing this correctly, that this is a cultural space in which people are engaging in a variety of ways, in a variety of different media, all of which unites into a medium of culture. I think I'm accurate in summarizing us what we've said so far as Social media is the public square. Yeah. And if that's the case, I'm always leery of the church abandoning the public square, however it expresses itself in any age, whether it is the Acropolis or ABC or FM radio or TikTok. When we abandon the public square, the public square gets worse. Mm, that's well said. And if I can be completely honest, when we, the reasonable Christians, abandon the public square, we end up being represented by the kooky Christians. Right. And there's a lot of Christian caricatures in our society. We do not need those reinforced. Absolutely. And many of those exist in our society because healthy, balanced, responsible Christians have chosen not to participate in a dialogue with the world. Mm. And so the only picture of the Christians that the world has to work with is those people. Yeah, I think that's interesting. And I, I would love to have another conversation someday about how we can effectively engage the public square Maybe broadly, but specifically in terms of social media, because I think there's a lot of ways to just stir up arguments and 
you're not going to convince anybody of anything. And like, so how do you engage the public square respectfully and intentionally in a God honoring way that doesn't stir up dissension and cause feuds? You know, and, and I'll be honest, my initial thought is, boy, I would love to pull in some of our kids oh. to engage that conversation with us because they are the experts who live in that public square. And I am confident that they have some insights I'm not catching. That would be a great conversation. On the phone with Josh, kids edition. Which, by the way, I'm not completely coming up with this on my own because my daughter has been begging for a daughter's edition with the two of us and your daughter for ages. And I keep forgetting to bring it up when we're doing planning and things like that. So now I've mentioned it. And I've mentioned it online live. So the question remains, are you going to text me after this episode and say, cut that out when you edit? <laughs> I am not. All right. That's great. I, th- I think that gives us a really, really fun episode idea for later. Thanks for the good conversation. I enjoyed talking this through, thinking about what the role of social media is, how we can use it cautiously, how it does or doesn't change us, or at least being aware of the fact that it, it creates a meta-narrative in our life, and we need to be aware of that. So super good conversation. I encourage our listeners to join us on social media, on Facebook, on Instagram, on Twitter. Just search for On the Phone with Josh. You will find us. You'll find our logo. We would love to hear from you. We'd love to interact about how you use social media, what you think the pros, the cons, the dangers are, and maybe what you've learned from the generation younger than us about the effective use of social media. I think that'd be super fascinating. Yes, absolutely. And please take a moment and text this episode to a friend of yours and start a conversation with a friend about social media and how you use it and how they use it and sharpen one another and challenge one another and inspire one another as you discuss those things. Absolutely. So with that, I do want to turn it back over to you, Josh from Missouri. Other than social media, what have you been thinking about? You know, this piggybacks on what we talked about, I think it was last week. Last week, you talked about this book that you've been reading. And I don't recall if it's the main idea or the title of the book that is uh, Being as Community. Yes, yeah. I've been thinking about that a lot. And every week I have this, or every other week, I have this two to three hour chunk of time when I am listening to Miroslav Volf's Exclusion and Embrace while I'm mowing my lawn because I can't listen to that book in like 15 minute increments. It's too complicated. So it's mm. that's the only time I listen to it. And he was talking about the story of the prodigal son And he pointed something out that I thought captured that thought really well. He actually had a whole bunch of really powerful insights about this particular parable and how profound it was of Jesus and so many little details I'd never caught. But one of them that he mentioned that I thought was fascinating and that really emphasizes that our being exists only in terms of community is that all of the characters in that story 
only exist in relational terms. They are the son, the father, the older brother. There are no names. There are no individual identifiers. They really only exist in their relational nature. And I just found that fascinating in light of our conversation from last week. And even if we talk about the people that met the prodigal son, right? Like even characters that don't necessarily enter the story, but like kind of exist outside of the story, you just have somebody that owns the pig farm and all of the people that this prodigal son blew his money with, right? But it was all, again, in unnamed community. That's great. That's cool. Yeah, I thought that was just fascinating. I mean, the other thing, if I can throw in one more interesting fact about that story, it's so interesting to me that the older son adds sin on top of sin when he describes what happens. Yeah. The original description of what this, the younger son does is he squandered his wealth in wild living and he spent everything. That's it. That's fairly vague. The older brother adds in, when this son of yours who squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, well, that may or may not be true, but the story certainly doesn't give us that detail. Right. You know, that's just something that the the older brother more or less just makes up on his own. Uh, unless he was over in the far country with the younger son, he's just making stuff up. <laughs> it just makes me intrigued at how many little details there are in this story. When when it says he squandered his wealth on wild living, I'm just curious what wild living means there, and I haven't had a chance to look. So hmm. I'm just intrigued if we have spent our entire lives demonizing the younger son slightly inaccurately or not. Sure, right. And them's my thoughts. What about you? What have you been thinking about? Yeah, so I think I've said the phrase a number of times that uh, my theology class requires me to read until my eyes bleed. And that is almost no joke. I spent all day yesterday, every waking minute that I was not otherwise engaged, reading this theology book, as I do nearly every week. And the author is Catherine Sonderegger, and she is brilliant. I love what she's writing. It's so worshipful, poetic, beautiful, descriptive. She takes the plain meaning of the text or the plain implications of the God-human dynamic. So anyway, really, really love what she's doing. As of yesterday's reading, she had spent close to 100 pages at that point expounding upon Exodus as a revelation of God, and particularly the moment that God reveals his divine name to Moses and this moment of I am. And that's come up in a number of my classes. It's come up in a number of my readings. And so this idea of I am or God's divine name as Yahweh has grown in my mind with all sorts of implications. And so I'm, I've am i developed a new appreciation for the name 
Yahweh, God's divine name, that is both being and movement. It's both action and identity and so fascinating. But here's where it connected to my other class. This week, uh, this month rather, the month of October, our assignment is to pray the Lord's Prayer every morning before we get out of bed. Hmm. And that's been a really fun assignment. And so I was praying that this morning, our Father who art in heaven, I sorry, I got the old language in my head, but our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. What else could that be besides the divine name? Hallowed be Yahweh. Hallowed be this name that mm. you gave to us, this name by which you've made yourself known, God's very name. That just struck me this morning, and I've never seen uh, the Lord's Prayer as a communication of Yahweh himself, and now I'll never be able to pray it the same. That's awesome. I had not ever caught that either. What a fascinating and powerful detail. Yes. And let me let me just say, I am conflicted about even using the divine name. I'm really drawn by the ancient Israelite practice, and probably even still down to today, of using Adonai in place of Yahweh. Or oftentimes people refer to it by its technical name, the Tetragrammaton. Or a lot of the poems, a lot of the um, writings in the Old Testament, the later writings, will use Hashem, the name, in place of Yahweh. And I wonder to what extent that is a wise practice. I always feel a little blasphemous, daring, bold, using God's divine name. Yeah, I know exactly how you feel. I don't know that I have an answer to this, but I deeply respect your sense of confusion on this issue. <laughs> I'm glad I could be respected for my confusion. Well, I had to find something to respect you for. <laughs> uh, which Josh just insulted the other. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> uh, oh. All right. So how about the real which Josh question? And that is this. Which Josh got his first job installing hardwood floors? And that was me. This is a family business. My grandfather installed hardwood floors, I feel like, up until the day he passed. When I was going into ninth grade, this is perfect for our social media episode, we didn't have a computer as a family. Mm. And my parents did not think it was the most important thing to have in the world. But I was like, I can't go into high school without a computer. Come on, guys. And so I started working for my grandfather full time over the summer, going into freshman year of high school and saved up and bought my family its first computer. Wow. Was it a Commodore 86? No, or I'm whatever? not that old. It was a... <laughs> 486 SX33, I think. Remember when it, it, they started off in DOS and you had to write, you had to type in Windows and or WIN and hit enter to make Windows start? Yep, yep. Um, and uh, so it was that kind of computer running 
Windows 4.11, I think. Wow, um, I can I can I can still hear the boot up sound. I can see the little mm-hmm. Windows logo and the grass in the background. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, that'll yes. take you back. Yep. And now my phone does more than that ever did. <laughs> Isn't that true? And by the way, that cost me about two thousand dollars. Holy smokes! Wow. I think it was like eighteen hundred bucks. Wow. You worked hard that summer then. I did. I worked, I guess it wasn't quite full-time. I think I worked four days a week, Monday through Thursday, seven to four. That's good. Like my youngest is in eighth grade right now. And I've seen the value of that kind of hard work pay off in all of my kids' lives. So I think that's just awesome for spending your summer that way. Yep. Well, hey, we on for next week? We sure are. I can't wait. Awesome. All right. I'll talk to you then. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye. What?